This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. With not one, but two winter storms this week, the capital region is finally covered in that idyllic blanket of snow. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the top headlines. Uh, Not guilty on all charges was the exceedingly swift verdict that came. We'll talk to Tony and Emmy-winning actor Mandy Patinkin. I'd like you to know that I put this thing together so that I would have a good time so that I could get back to feeling alive and having fun. And we'll hear a little more of our brand new Times Union podcast about the disappearance of Jalik Rainwalker. It remains today a sore spot among many people in the community, feeling that not enough was done, that this was never resolved. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. A look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. All right, now let's discuss what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. We are here now once again with Times Union Editor-in-Chief Casey Seiler. We're going to talk about the top news of the week like we do every week. Uh, Let's start at the top with the fact that Mike Tyson, the former heavyweight boxing champion, uh, is accused of raping a woman in a limo outside an Albany nightclub 30 years ago. What's going on there? Yeah, Ragged Justin, who has been keeping an eye on the court docket for cases related to or resulting from, I should say, the state's Adult Survivors Act, which is essentially an analog to the Child Victims Act, which, of course, opened up Uh, the potential for civil action for previously time-barred civil actions involving child sexual abuse. This allegation from a woman who remains anonymous in the filing is that Mike Tyson uh, raped her in a limousine outside of a once popular but now defunct nightclub on Central Avenue in Albany called September's. There will be more uh, suits, no doubt, um, brought like this. This is the first one to be filed in Albany County. And needless to say, Raga broke the story and it got around the world of professional sports pretty much internationally very, very quickly. Very few of those outlets, unfortunately, credited the Times Union with breaking the story, which drives me up the wall. But of course, that is a secondary issue. 
<laughs> well, we do know the truth um, that we did get to it first. Um, check out timesunion.com for more on that story. Other big news in the Capital Region story we've been following for a while. The trial of a Rensselaer County executive, Steve McLaughlin. In that trial, the jury has returned a verdict. What was the news there? Uh, not guilty on all charges was the exceedingly swift verdict that came. The trial itself was pretty swift, less than two days, as our Rob Gavin uh, covered. He was in the trial for the whole thing. These were state charges, one of larceny and one of filing a false instrument related to allegations that McLaughlin essentially stole from his uh, campaign account in order to pay a debt to a former aide who uh, McLaughlin had, I think it's fair to say, an extremely volatile uh, working relationship with. This is a woman, um, Jen Polaro, who accused McLaughlin of roughing her up. He denied it, and it is a very uh, stormy uh, workplace relationship without a doubt that folks can go back and look into. The state alleged that McLaughlin was using his campaign account as basically a personal piggy bank. The defense argued successfully that McLaughlin was uh, just paying a campaign consultant for a job well done. That campaign consultant then paid off Ms. Polaro for this debt, uh, essentially to kind of uh, to kind of recompense her and sort of make this situation go away, as noted, uh, it was less than an hour after closing arguments ended and deliberations began that McLaughlin got the news. He, of course, was ecstatic and certainly also good news for. Rensselaer County's Republican Party, which has been contending with overlapping state and federal investigations unrelated into uh, ballot fraud that have already resulted on the federal side in two guilty pleas from Republican officials. Yes, indeed. Rob Gavin has been a busy reporter spending a lot of time over in Rensselaer County. Moving on to another story, another big story for us. University at Albany basketball coach Dwayne Killings has pleaded not guilty in the alleged assault of a player. Um, tell us more about that and what happened this week there. Yeah, this um, relates back to the November 2021 uh, episode in which Killings, uh, Killings and Albany have acknowledged inappropriate physical contact with a former player named Luke Fizulik. During, uh, they describe it as taking place during a locker room hype circle before a game in tournament play at Eastern Kentucky University. The school has um, used this phrase, inappropriate physical contact, over and over again without explaining what exactly happened. Killings was hit with a five game suspension that the school kind of custom tailored to make sure that no really significant games <laughs> were impacted. And uh, he was also hit with a chunky fine of, I believe, $25,000 that would be donated to a local nonprofit. In the interest of giving credit uh, where it's due, the Daily Gazette broke the story that Killings uh, was going to face charges in Kentucky. And that is, in fact, what happened. He was arraigned um, Monday morning, as you noted, pleaded not guilty. 
the school has basically responded to their men's basketball head coach being charged with assault with a shrug and has basically said, yeah, well, this is information that we knew before. The charging documents uh, in Kentucky uh, offer, of course, more detail about what allegedly happened. They say that killings pushed Bazulik up against the locker and slapped him across the face with an open hand. More bad public relations news for Albany, without a doubt. Killings' next court appearance is going to be in late March, presumably after the basketball season is over. All right, we'll be keeping an eye on that. One more topic for today. This one is a blend of state and economic news. Uh, Legal marijuana sales were just weeks away from. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, retailers who have received licenses to run, you know, the first uh, dispensaries, recreational adult use cannabis shops in the capital region, have say they're they're very close. That um, at least in the case of a couple of them, it could just be a matter of weeks before they are able to um, start doing sales. But of course, there are lots of things still standing in the way. Many of them have their licenses, but they do not yet have locations. You know, these they're minor detail. Yeah, exactly. It would appear based on the way that the state is regulating and calling for where these need to be done. They could be done in downtown Albany, the South End, the warehouse district would certainly qualify. But uh, that, of course, could change in the future as more dispensaries go online. Of course, New York City has seen uh, the first legal sales the state got in just under the wire at the end of 2022 with the opening of a dispensary in, I believe, Brooklyn. For now, anybody who wants to get their merch it still has to go over to Western Massachusetts to, uh, to pick it up and carry it over state lines. I'm not recommending that, mind you, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> that is not official, an official endorsement. No. All right. Stick by Capital Confidential on timesunion.com for more news there. All right, Casey, thank you so much. And we will check back in with you next week. Thanks, Jess. As always, you can learn more about all of the topics and the issues that we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. All right, next up, we have a segment that my childhood self would be starstruck to know that I grew up to someday do. I recently had the chance to talk to Tony and Emmy-winning actor Mandy Patinkin, the multi-talented performer who is famous for his roles in movies like Yentl and The Princess Bride, TV shows like Chicago Hope and Homeland, as well as a string of impressive Broadway credits is coming to Proctor's February 2nd. He'll be performing a lineup of his favorite Broadway and classic American tunes in a show that he calls Being Alive. Here's a portion of our recent conversation. So thank you again for for joining us. This is great to have you here. I want to talk about your show. Can you just start out by telling me what does the name of the show mean? What does being alive signify? Just that. Uh, after all of us being cooped up for three years, uh, it's time to get back to being alive. Full stop. I love that. How do you choose the songs that go into your set lists? Well, I had a concert that I put together that I liked very much before the pandemic. It was called Diaries. We did it uh, around and and it was a pretty dark concert because it was a fairly dark time. I guess it osmosized itself into me. And uh, when we 
started talking about going back on the road after the pandemic, I was very clear about wanting to do something that was happy, not dark, but uh, full of fun and, and uh, feeling alive again and fun and made me happy. And so that's what I was interested in. And so I have about 13 and a half hours worth of material and we just started going through all of it. And we just looked for the opening number and then we went, okay, this one seems good. Let's start with this. What should, what should we do after this? And we said, okay, how about this? Later on, we had kept going like that until we had about an hour and a half. And uh, we said, okay. So I did it for my wife and a friend of mine and, and they were very supportive. And, and then we took it on the road and it's been one of the most fun concerts I've ever done in my life. And uh, I can't get over the way the audience is uh, supporting us so beautifully and makes you just want to get in the car and go to the airport and fly to the next place, you know, to keep going. Cause it's really, this has been a wonderful experience. And I, I at the moment I do not want to tan. And now are you in the car headed to the airport? Is that what you are I doing? I am indeed. I'm, <laughs> I'm indeed. I'm going from here to Atlanta, to Fort Lauderdale, to Boca Raton, to Bethesda, Maryland, back to New York, then to Schenectady and on it goes. Well, we are excited to have you here. It's you sound like you're a really busy guy. <laughs> um, you do a no, lot I'm of. Not, I'm not that busy. I'm just. Uh, I'm just. You know, it's sort of like an athletic event for me, so I really try to stay scheduled. So. Oh no problem. I totally understand the athletic thing. I'm a comp- competitive figure skater, so I, I have oh, to. Oh wow! <laughs> I have to make be... my practices. <laughs> Back to you, though. I, I do want to ask well, you. Why don't we just stay with you? Why don't I get a little <laughs> ice pond, put it on stage, and you just come up and oh, do 20 minutes? I would love that. They actually <laughs> did bring a sheet of ice to Proctor's once when I was a kid, and they had all of the Olympians like doing backflips on the stage. So I know that they're set up for that. <laughs> right, right, right. That'd be fun. <laughs> So I do want to ask you, you know, you do so many different things. You know, you are, at least in my eyes, a a jack of all trades and master of all of them as well. Um, But I know, and I've heard you say it before, that musical, live musical performance is your favorite thing. Can you just elaborate on that and why you feel that way? Why? Because it's it's just that. It's immediate. It's, uh, It's alive. It's with the audience. The most important part of the concert is the audience, not me. They're just amazing. They make it happen. They dictate everything about the evening, and uh, they infuse the evening with the kind of energy that they they want to have happen, and, and they're my lifeblood system. So it's also immediate to the moment, to the day, for everybody, not just for the lyrics of the song and how they reflect on my life at that moment that day, but on everybody else's life and on the world itself. You know, when you do film or you do a recording or you do television, you're not with the audience. You know, you're with the crew, but... They're concentrating on focusing the camera and, and, you know, all the technical details with the lights and everything. The reason we're doing the whole thing is for the people in the seats. And without them, the whole thing is for shit. That's wonderful. Now, you've been to Proctor's before, right? Yes, yes. I love it there. I love the backstage. I love the signs on the door that were the old uh, circuit, you know, the vaudeville circuit. All the signs were the the, uh, towns that they stopped in. Mm-hmm. And it's filled filled with history. You really feel like you're, you know, you're walking down a historical journey when you're in that place. Yes, it's a wonderful, wonderful theater. I am wondering. Uh, I know that you you are a resident of New York State and uh, perhaps the Hudson Valley. I've heard you live up there. Um, I was wondering if you didn't mind sharing a few of your favorite things about New York and the Hudson Valley. Wow. Well, I've always. <laughs> 
I've always wanted to live upstate. We we got our place in 1984, but between the kids doing soccer and National Dance Institute and, and Daddy being on the road working and Mommy doing her work, you know, we, we'd hardly ever get up there. And, and uh, you know, the pandemic's been a, a, a trial for the whole world. But, you know, every now and then difficult things have silver linings. And one of the silver linings was that it, it moved our whole life up there permanently. And oh. so I, I couldn't be happier. Uh, and I just love it. I, I take hikes every day in the country and, uh, I just love the air. I love the beauty of it. Uh, we have dear friends and, and it's the first time the pandemic I was ever able to be in one place with my wife in 43 years that we weren't running around doing whatever we're doing. And we were together nonstop for three years virtually. That was a pretty great gift. Yes, and you and your wife have done a lot together recently. I mean, you guys are all over social media. Are you still doing that? We're actually starting to do some talking gigs. We're doing one in Princeton, New Jersey on Valentine's Day at the McCarter Theater. We're doing one in uh, in Boca Raton. We did one in Cleveland. And uh, these two, my son's going to be there uh, participating with us. So we're it's all an experiment. We're going to see... How what we do on social media, you know, where where my son just basically asks us anything he feels like, and uh, Catherine and I just answer his questions, and we'll see if it's interesting or, or the most boring thing in the world. <laughs> well, I happen to think it's interesting on social media. I'm a big fan of those videos. I think that they're they're very funny and they're very you know heartwarming, and it just looks like you guys have so much fun doing them. It's uh, it's all my son's doing. He uh, <laughs> he gets the credit and the blame. We're just the idiot parents that answer his questions. <laughs> and he doesn't tell you, I'm guessing, he doesn't prepare you for what he's going to ask you, right? Oh, God, no. <laughs> so that is another medium that I think that you've conquered, you know, as an actor and, as, you know, as a performer. I mean, do you count that among your, you know, as no. your repertoire? No, no, no. <laughs> we, did, we did nothing. We, did, we didn't think about it. We didn't even know what it was. And, uh, and. You know, so we don't do anything. We just, you know, the both our kids always thought that their parents were a little kooky and that the, <laughs> the world might find them entertaining. And so they just happened to find a way to, you know, careful what you wish for kind of thing. And they and they did it. And Gideon created with his friend Ewan Wright this huge social media platform that we've been able to use for all kinds of things. Uh, but I'd say first and foremost, you know, Gideon and Catherine and I, uh, aside from, you know, trying to be decent human beings, we are entertainers. Mm -hmm. So even when we're talking about serious subjects, we lead with a little twinkle in our eye and a little something fun, hopefully. And then at other times, uh, just like, you know, just like any conversation, you know, when it's appropriate to say something of a little greater depth or concern or need, you know, we may, you know, gently put that out there and, and then get back to having fun. So, you know, along those lines where you mentioned that, you know, sometimes you use that platform, you know, to get a little more serious, like, say, in, in recent elections, you've talked a lot about the importance of voting. And you've also talked about, you know, your kind of philanthropic efforts and, you know, your travels around the world um, and interactions with refugees. Um, are you still doing that? And are you still looking forward to doing more of that? Yeah, you know, somebody asked me about the social media. What am I most proud of about it? First and foremost, I'm most proud of my son. For what he thought of, how he does it, and how he continues to continue to nurture it and and keep doing it. 
But in terms of what it has done, uh, at one point we were doing a virtual benefit for uh, something, and Ruth Messenger jumped on the line, and and she said, uh, she said, you know, you guys are. She wasn't just talking to us; she was talking to everybody that was on the platform, you know, in the in the benefit. She said, you're missing the younger generation; you're not reaching them. Mm-hmm. Well, the next morning, my son Gideon and his uh, his uh, work partner uh, Ewan Wright, who's his collaborator writer and his director. They said, listen, we're going to ask you and mom to do some pretty stupid things and pretty crazy. And you're going to think we're crazy. And maybe we are. And uh, uh, but just trust us and do it. And it was all about this TikTok thing. And we started doing the things they asked us to do. And they laced it all with things that they do in TikTok and things that we said Mm -hmm. to get out the vote, to get people to register to vote for the election. You know, Democrat, Republican, independent. That was a point to get these young people to make sure their parents were registered, to make sure that their aunts and uncles and teachers and friends and neighbors were all registered to vote. Young people who are old enough to vote, to vote and preserve this democracy and the most precious right all of us have as citizens, uh, you know, in the free world to exercise our vote. So being able to do that and reach millions of people through this platform was incredible and very rewarding. And I'm very grateful for it. Regarding the International Rescue Committee, that's how the social media got birthed in the first place. Mm-hmm. I, I never knew how to do it. And so uh, the staff at the International Rescue Committee, they would upload and download, inload, outload, all that stuff. And I, I would approve everything that went out there, and I'd certainly be there, you know, creating content for it. But, you know, we did that. And Gideon, the first thing Gideon said when he did the first piece after our anniversary where he asked us, you know, how are you doing? And we said yesterday was our anniversary. We had a fight, and then we talked about it. And he said, could I put that out there? And and, and he coupled that question with, because I think it's really nice, and I think people could relate to it, he said. And I think it could also bring more eyeballs to the International Rescue Committee and the refugee crisis mm-hmm. and help bring raise awareness and raise funds. And uh, could we do that? And I said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And God Almighty... Uh, he, it sure did just what he said uh, overnight. It just went crazy. Wow, that's fantastic. Before I let you go, I, I want to circle back to your show, Being Alive. Is there anything else that you'd like the audience in Schenectady who is going to come see you, which includes myself? I'm very excited to see the show. Is there anything you want folks to know going into it? Yes, I'd like you to know that I put this thing together so that I would have a good time, so that I could get back to feeling alive and having fun. That's what I did it for. If you're doing nothing, come on down. If you don't like it while you're sitting there, take a nap or, you know, or, or take a walk. You know, it's okay. I won't be offended. And, uh, but but I, I, I made it to have fun for me and, and for anybody who comes. So really, if you got nothing to do and you want to have a crazy evening, uh, come on down. And I promise you we'll do everything we can to give you a good time. And if, and if you hate it, you know, that's okay, too. Mandy Patinkin will be performing his show Being Alive at Proctor's February 2nd at 7.30 p.m. Head over to proctors.org for tickets. After the break, 12-year-old Dalik Rainwalker vanished without a trace from Washington County in 2007. We explore that story in our new seven-part podcast series, Rainwalker, The Lost Boy. Coming up, we'll hear a segment of the most recent episode. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. The Times Union launched a brand new podcast this month. It's called Rainwalker, The Lost Boy. It explores the mysterious disappearance of 12-year-old Jalik Rainwalker. He vanished without a trace in 2007 from the Washington County village of Greenwich. His case was ruled a probable homicide, but no suspects were ever named. Our seven-part series delves into the life, disappearance, and 15-year search for Jalik. Last week on The Eagle, we heard a little bit of the first episode. Now, here is some of the second. Before we begin, a word of caution. The story we are about to tell involves situations that may be very disturbing to some listeners. So please take care as you listen. Greenwich is a village of almost 5,000 people. That's according to the latest census data. It's a mix of income levels. It's overwhelmingly white. Less than 1% of residents are people of color. The violent crime rate, practically non-existent. The Greenwich school mascot is a witch. Yes, an actual witch like Halloween. Greenwich has a really rich history. It's basically revolves around the Batten Kill. In the 1700s, it was where the Mohicans lived and hunted and fished because the Batten Kill is a hardy trout stream. Uh, it attracted uh, European settlers after the French and Indian War. Many Europeans built uh, paper mills, other mills on the Batten Kill. They used the power of the water Greenwich was originally called Whipple City, after the village's most prominent industrialist, Joe Whipple. He started a cotton mill along the Batten Kill in 1804. It was renamed Greenwich in 1867. It's on the historic register. The Underground Railroad went through here. A lot of escaped slaves would come up the Champlain Canal, and then they would uh, be hidden in some homes around here and then they would continue up to Canada from here. That's town supervisor Jim Nolan. Ask him about Greenwich history, and he can rattle off a long list of notable people and happenings. Susan B. Anthony once lived there, so did former President Chester Arthur. A guy named Gannon, who wrote a famous Christmas song. I'll be home Christmas. Yeah, I'll be home for Christmas. Um, he lived here uh, with his wife, and uh, he, after he passed his way, his wife lived here uh, in a home uh, right at the end of Gray Avenue on Prospect. And uh, when she passed away, she left a sizable endowment for the youth of Greenwich, and the proceeds of that. Uh, are still being used for youth activities. 
Kim Gannon isn't the only one who wrote a song about Greenwich, allegedly. There's a whole musical about it. They don't know how to pronounce a double T. E. It's Greenwich, not British. Say it phonetically. It's Greenwich, not British. And that's the way it ought to be. It was a fundraiser for the library. It sold out three performances at the local high school in 2004, and they did it again in 2009. People just cheered and cheered and cheered. They especially cheered for the Greenwich song. Um, you know, it's Greenwich, not Greenwich. Say it phonetically. You know, everybody knows that song in Greenwich. Why bother with a rule unless we can agree that the E, E should be E and the W should have a sound. To serve as an illustration, I wrote this little poem. When we in the community heard of Delique's disappearance, everybody was deeply moved by it, and they rallied. Uh, every, I, I can't tell you how many people went on searches for Delique. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, the state police, the, the village police. It was the community that went out on searches on the Batten Kill at the golf course, through fields, through forests, through swamps. It remains today a sore spot among many people in the community, feeling that not enough was done, that this was never resolved. Even 15 years later, go for a walk down Salem Street. You mention the name Jalique Rainwalker, and everyone on the streets, in local cafes, they remember. Okay. Do you know anything about the Jalik Rainwalker case, the boy that went missing? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you have. Yeah. Um, just that he went missing and the stepfather was potentially a suspect, but that's it. Yeah. Definitely rocked the village. I mean, it, it was heartbreaking. You know, everybody was concerned. No, I just remember going around, you know, being around here at that time, and he just was constantly on my mind. It was like, you know, he kind of set up camp in my head, and I, I couldn't stop thinking about him and, and trying to imagine where he was. We all just wanted to bring Jalik home, because collectively, as a village, we all felt that loss and sadness and uh, frustration. I often wondered if the police didn't start it off right, they didn't manage it right, where did they go wrong, and why, why, why aren't we still looking for him? And who's the suspect? We talked to dozens of people who live in and around Greenwich during our walks. A common thread very quickly emerged, an almost certain belief that Jalik was dead and that someone close to him was somehow involved. And that includes town supervisor Jim Nolan. There, there's a lot of people, I think, that um, feel that the adoptive father uh, knows more than what he's saying. At this point, 
it's very important to note that Stephen Kerr has never been charged with anything related to his son's disappearance. So Stephen Kerr and his family, they moved to West Rupert, Vermont. That's only about 20 miles from Greenwich as the crow flies. Um, So it's not like he moved far. He did move out of state, though, so it's it changes the jurisdiction a little bit for the uh, police to question him. But you still see him around Greenwich, right? He works in Greenwich, so therefore he's at Hannaford, he's been spotted at the library. People see him around. We found him there this summer. I really want to make sure you have the opportunity to talk about Jalik's disappearance. Do you, do you want to talk about that or? Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, Appreciate okay. All right. We reached out to Stephen Kerr's lawyer, Jeffrey McMorris as well. He wouldn't talk to us either because he said he needed his client's permission and his client wasn't returning his calls. Rainwalker, The Lost Boy, was produced and edited by Wendy Libertor and myself, Jessica Marshall. We had help from Lauren Stanforth, Susan Mahalik, Lori Todd, Erica Smith, Tom Crocker, Jeff Shearer, and Casey Seiler. And special thanks to Bob Warren, who wrote the music and lyrics to Greenwich the Musical. New episodes of Rainwalker, The Lost Boy drop Tuesday mornings. You can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head on over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to Casey Seiler and Wendy Libertor for their contributions to this episode.